If you'd take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hosea, chapter 2, and while you're turning there, I'll update you on our count. We had 146 gospel tracts passed out this week. That brings your total up to 9,086 for the year. We'll come uh, close to 10, but not quite not quite 10. That's, that's a lot of tracts being passed out. God willing, we'll be expounding verses 8 and 9 this morning. Hosea chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I tell you what, I appreciate you all coming to church this morning. I appreciate those who are coming uh, through the internet as well. I... I, I, someone got on the inter, uh, got on the internet the other day and said, "Is, is there any church around Maybank that's uh, that's having services on Sunday?" I thought, "What a sad thing that you would have to ask that." But so many churches shut down on Sunday when it comes to Christmas. They're just going to worship Jesus by disobeying Him and not meeting and assembling on the first day of the week as the church did. And I just think that's so sad. I can't think of a better place and to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ then in the house of God, the church that He died for. Hosea chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. In chapter 2, Israel has been described as a woman married to a really great husband. A husband who has loved her and provided very well for her. But instead of being thankful for her husband's great provision, she gave the credit for what her husband did to another man. And now the other man whom she gave that credit to is a worthless individual. I mean, he is no good. He didn't even love Israel. Nevertheless, she left her good and faithful husband, God, who loved her, for the sorry man who didn't love her and had nothing to do with her. He had never done anything for her. Of course, when she runs off with this other man meaning this other God that she's worshiping, her husband's no longer going to support her as he did before, right? We learned that last week. That's the new husband's job, okay? Uh, But the new husband, again, he's not going to provide her any support. He's a false God. And so in this analogy, God is the husband who loved Israel, took such good care of her. Israel is the wife who ran out on God to marry another man, the false gods of the nations around her. And God is warning Israel that when he withdraws his support from her, she's going to run out to her false gods. She's going to run out to them for help, but they won't be any help to her. The Lord said, verse 7, And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Israel's going to run after her false gods for help, but they'll give her no hope, no rest, and no relief because they're false gods. You know, false gods make false promises. Let me ask you that the God you're serving, the God the people of this world are serving, how good is that God? When you're on your deathbed, you know. The God that you're serving, can He raise you up from the dead? Because we're all going to die. The God you're serving, whether it's the world, whether it's your pleasures, whether it's the God of atheism, the false God of atheism, which we've uh, talked much about here recently, uh, are they going to be able to bring you up from that grave? How good is your God 
when it really counts. False gods make false promises. False gods give people a false hope. And when God stops supporting Israel, she's going to realize that the gods she loves are not gods at all. That's when she'll realize that what made Israel the nation that she was so great in her former days was the Lord, the God who loved her, whom she left. Look back in your text. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. Her first husband meaning God who created her as a nation, who brought her out of the land of Egypt, who gave her uh, uh, the truth of His Word, who made her blessed above all other nations in the world, who delivered her from her enemies, and who sent the Savior to the world through her. Yes, Israel will remember her God in the latter days, and she will return back to her first husband. That's going to happen. Look back in your text. For then, she will say, was it better with me than now? It was better for me back then when our people walked with God than it is today after we have stopped walking with God. I tell you what, if Israel was walking with God right now, there weren't, wouldn't be any dispute over land. People would be fearing Israel and respecting Israel as they did before. <laughs> there, there wouldn't be any worry about uh, what was, uh, where, where the Temple Mount was and any dispute over land or any of those things. There's nothing like living a life without God that will make you appreciate the life you once had with God. It took starvation and poverty to make the prodigal son finally return home and appreciate his daddy, you know. And sometimes we don't know how good we've got it until we no longer have it. Israel started off in the Father's house. They had the Scriptures. They had the Temple. They had the priesthood. They had the covenants that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had the blessings of God heaped upon them. But God said, Israel left me, verse 8, for she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil. Now, there are two categories that are being listed here. And the first is agriculture. Outside of uh, this right here, write down agriculture. I gave her corn and wine and oil. People think they don't need God when there's plenty of food on the table. People don't think they need God where they can walk into the grocery store and the stores are, uh, are, are stocked full of food. They're bold. They're proud. They're defiant when their belly is full. But you let those shelves start getting empty at the grocery store. Y'all remember when some of that started happening during COVID? People started getting a little panicked, didn't they? Oh, you let, you let some of the gas start going away at the gas pump. People start scrambling. They get panicked. Yeah, you let those store shelves get empty. You'll see those proud people get scared like you've never seen before. God is the one who blesses our agriculture here in this nation. When you walk into the grocery store and you find food on those shelves, you need to thank God for it. You need to thank God for it. The people of America need to start bowing their heads as we did in former days. 
We gather around the table, whether at a restaurant or at home, and that food is set before us, and before that fork goes into our mouth to feed our bellies, we need to bow our heads and once again start thanking God for every meal. Because He's the one that provides the food. We need to acknowledge that He is our great provider. People have grown so accustomed to stuffing their faces here in the United States, they don't know what it's like to be hungry anymore. Every year it seems they come out with some kind of new diet to help fat Americans lose weight. It's pathetic. In my lifetime we've had the Weight Watchers fad. The Jenny Craig fad. The Atkins fad. The Paleo fad. The Keto fad. And so many more fads. We've been so blessed with food as a nation. I thank God for it. I love to eat food. Brother uh, Doug calls them groceries. He says, I like groceries. I hear him say that all the time. That man can put them away. But we've been so blessed with food as a nation. But, but we've become a, a, a nation who refused to acknowledge God for the food we receive. And the nation that does that will one day find themselves without it. Revelation chapter 6 tells us that in the last days, God's going to cause food to become scarce. And people will face the stark reality that the God they denied is the God who had supplied them with the sustenance that they needed. Their false gods won't do them any good then. Revelation chapter 6 verse 5, speaking of that time, says, And when he had opened the third seal, now that's Jesus opening these seals. When he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. He's weighing it out. He's... Uh, weighing it out, verse 6, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. In this passage, we see God regulating the price of grain. Isn't that amazing? We read over passages like that. We don't think a whole lot about it. But God's regulating the price of grain here in Revelation Six, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. Now, these pennies aren't your little copper-looking pennies that we have in America. They didn't have America when this was written, okay? So the penny means something different. A penny is considered a day's wage here in the Greek. And so it appears that the grain will be in short supply and that people will be having to work all day just for a measure of wheat, in the passage we just read here in Revelation, we see that God is in complete control of the food supply. Telling the angel to not damage the oil and the wine just yet. Leave that industry alone at this time. God said, see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. No matter where you live today, God is in control of global agriculture. Not the government. Not Mother Nature. Not industry. But God, I read the other day where a customer in the drive through at Kentucky Fried Chicken shot one of the restaurant employees because they ran out of corn. 
What have we come to today? Every day all across our nation, unthankful, unholy people demand their food without giving credit to their God. When America falls, God will be able to say, She fell, for she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil. Look back in your text, and multiplied her silver and gold. Now, the first category was agriculture. Corn, wine, oil. The second category, silver and gold. That's our economy. You see that? How God's dividing this up here? Multiplied her silver and gold. So the corn, wine, and oil was Israel's agriculture. The silver and gold was Israel's economy. As with food, when there's plenty of money in people's banks, when they got some dollars in their wallet, people don't realize their need for God. People are confident when they can make their house payment. People are confident when, when uh, they can pay their electric bill. They're all proud. America today is like Israel in Hosea's day, though. We make the mistake of thinking that we have created our economy. That's what we think. I mean, for years. What do politicians love to boast about? What they've done for the economy. That's what they like to boast about. Whether they do anything for it or not, they'll still boast about it. Economy can be going down. They'll still say, look what I'm doing with the economy. As if they have any control over that economy. But they boasted that they are responsible for the economies. Our business leaders, they think they are responsible for the economy. But the truth is, God is the one who shuts economies down. Who, who raises economies up at his own pleasure. One of my neighbors told me and my wife the other day that, about her losing her glasses. And she said, I, I wanted to go to church, but I couldn't find my glasses. And she said, so I prayed and I asked God, Lord, please help me to find my glasses. And she said, not long after that, I found my glasses. And she was so thankful that God let her find her glasses. But I, I had to wonder... When I heard the story, and I'm thankful God let her find her glasses too, and I prayed for God to help me find my stuff. But I wondered if she ever thanked God for those glasses before she lost them. You know, when we lose our jobs, we ask God to help us. But how often do we thank God for the jobs, those crummy jobs we already have now? You lose that crummy job, and you you'll sure be wishing you had it back. It'd look a whole lot better when they're gone. How often do we thank God for the cars we drive, the houses that we live in, the clothes that we wear? How many Americans give God the praise for the ability to pay their medical bills when they come in? So, Brother Richard, I got big medical bills. I went to the hospital, I had a heart attack, I had this, I had that. They did surgery on me, and I got so many bills, and I can't pay them. You got treated, didn't you? You got treated, didn't you? Isn't it something to live in a, in a nation where you can go get expert care from doctors and them give you supplies and even blood from other people's bodies when you need it? Have surgery and everything. And they don't demand payment before they do all that. They send you a piece of paper saying you owe us. 
but you got treated. Oh, we have so much to be thankful for. How often do we thank God for the ability to put gas in our tank so we can go somewhere? God said, I gave Israel their agriculture. I gave Israel their economy. Look back in your text. Which they prepared for Baal. God spoke about their agriculture. God spoke about their economy. And now God is addressing their attribution. God gave Israel their blessings, but they attributed those blessings to the false god Baal. That's what America does today. God has given us so many blessings, and in return we prepare them for our lovers. We give thanks offerings to everyone but God. We pat ourselves on the back. The politicians pat themselves on the back. Therefore, verse 9, therefore, God says, will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof. Now, if you would go to verse 8, go back to verse 8, underscore the words, her corn, her corn. Now go down a little bit further and underscore her silver, her silver. Now look in verse 9. Underscore my corn. My corn. Underscore my wool. My flax. <laughs> what a change. He says, her corn. Her silver. And now he's saying, okay, I'm going to take back my corn. My silver. My wool. My flags. My stuff that I've given her. Here's a kingdom truth for you. Write it down. Everything you have belongs to God. That's what we're seeing right here. Everything you have belongs to God. We are the recipients. God is the owner. Yes, God gives them to us. But God owns them. God owns you. He made you. We should be the grateful recipients. A lot of, uh, most of the time, unfortunately, we're the ungrateful recipients. Worse than that, we receive it, and then we say somebody else gave it to us. Or we got it on our own. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, the Apostle Paul asks, What do you have that you did not receive? Now, think about it. What do you have this morning that God didn't give you? So well, I went to work. How'd you get there? I took my car, but I paid for it. How'd you get in that car? Well, I walked from my house to the, drive, to the driveway. Who gave you those feet? Who gave you the hands to steer? Who gave you the mind to think and get that job and get that education and work? Who gave you the strength? Who gave you the health to get out and work for all that? Who gave you the breath how many of y'all right now can just with your mind and your own will make your heart stop beating? You can't. How many of y'all if it quit beating with your own power, all the money and everything you could muster up, make it start beating again? You can't. Folks, we're so dependent. What does a man have that he did not first receive? Everything you have is a gift from God. We're recipients. God is the owner.
We owe Him that thanks. We owe Him the acknowledgement. To an ungrateful people, God says, I will return and take away my corn and wine and the time and season thereof. Jesus said one of the things the world would experience in the last days was famine. God is going to show an ungrateful world that food doesn't come because the seasons change. It comes from the God who created the seasons. And that God is going to come back one day and He's going to repossess His property from those who failed to acknowledge Him as the gracious owner thereof. He said, I will return and take away my corn and my wine. Look back in your text. And will recover, will recover my wool and my flax. Um, when, when I was a state policeman and I was working theft, every time that we got back something from someone that it didn't belong to them, we took it back and we called it a recovery. That's what he's saying here. This belongs to me. You didn't acknowledge me for it. You gave credit to a false god. Okay. I'm going to do a repo. <laughs> I'm about to come recover it. I'm going to have a repossession of my goods. He shall recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. Wool is fur. Flax is cloth. So in this passage, God's addressing our food, our economy, and our clothing. You see? What we eat, what we wear, and what we buy all belongs to God. The Bible says God sends His rain. That means He sends, he sends the rain needed to, to grow uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the farms and the agriculture and to feed the cattle and, and to give us water to drink. He sends His rain on the just, that means the good people, and the unjust, that means the bad people. Those who thank Him, those who don't thank Him. He sends it upon all because He loves all of them. He's the one that causes the food to grow. Since the beginning of creation, God's been so merciful to people, so gracious to people. He's allowed the, the wicked to live comfortably. Even Cain, who rejected God, who killed Abel, was still allowed to go out and build a city and have a family and prosper on this earth. God's been so good to the people of this world, but they've been so ungrateful and they have failed to acknowledge Him as their God. So one day He's going to come back He's going to recover his rightful title to this earth. He's going to take back everything that belongs to him, even the breath that the wicked breathe. And only those who acknowledge him as their God and acknowledge his Son as their Savior will be able to enter the kingdom that he's promised and enjoy the everlasting life that Jesus gives. For Christians, Jesus is our economy. He's our agriculture. He's our clothing. He's everything. He's the bread we eat. He's the clothing we wear. He's the bread of life. He's our righteousness provided. Jesus is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the believer's food, clothing, and economy. We acknowledge God as our creator. And we trust 
that He will eternally supply our needs through His Son. The day that I'm talking about, the day that it, God was warning Israel about, it's coming. It came in part back then, historically. It's going to come again in the future, prophetically. They will return back to God. They will no longer be uh, a nation that rejects Christ as the Messiah. That's coming. It was prophesied back in the Old Testament as we're reading today. My thing to you is this. God's going to take back everything that belongs to Him. Do you belong to Him? If so, you're going to go to God. If not, He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. And when I say thank you, I mean we thank you. We thank you today for the clothes on our backs, for the warm coats that we can slip into and stay warm in the cold. We thank you for the agriculture, the food that we're about to go home and receive, God willing. We thank you for the water that we drink. We thank you for the air that we breathe. We thank you, Father, for uh, giving us uh, money to pay the bills and be able to have a house to live in and be able to, to uh, pay the electric bill and everything that you so grace, graciously provide us. And Lord, most of all, we thank you for sending your Son. We thank you that we, through our faith in Him, belong to you. And when you come back to take everything back to you, you're taking us too. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, the Bible says. I pray if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their God in your Son as their Savior, Lord, that they will uh, get their hearts right with you, seek your face, prepare to learn your truth, and come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Savior before it's eternally too late. We ask in His precious name. Amen.